Hello and welcome to Breaking the Glass Slipper. I'm Charlotte Bond. I'm Lucy Hounsom. And I'm Megan Lee. Today we sit down with author Anna Smith-Spark, titled by many as the Queen of Grimdark, to try and get to the bottom of what exactly Grimdark is. This subgenre of fantasy often finds itself at the heart of contentious debate, with a very vocal disapproval of its themes. Is it really so bad? What does no. Grimdark have? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no! Heckle, she heckles. You're not allowed to heckle in the introduction, Anna. <laughs> what does Grimdark have to offer speculative, speculative fiction as a whole? Anything, Anna? Or, or should we leave that one? Great <laughs> deal! And why does it inspire such devotion among its fans? So, Anna, thank you for introducing yourself. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Okay, yeah, I'm Anna Smith-Spark. I am the um, semi-self-dubbed, the Queen of Grimdark. It was um, the God of Grimdark, Mike Fletcher's idea originally, not mine, and now I'm stuck with it. Um, Yeah, I'm the author of the Empires of Dust series. The Court of Broken Knives was out last year and is currently shortlisted for Gemmel, and will probably have lost the Gemmel Award by the time you listen to this. And um, my second, the second volume, The Tower of Living and Dying, is out in August, the beginning of August. The books have been described as one review said that they were the best, that The Course of Broken Knives was the best new piece of fantasy fiction in the last 10 years and a breathtaking vision. Another one said it was the most vile piece of disgusting, repellent, bleak and hideous grimness they'd ever read and was to be avoided by everyone apart from people who got off on such things. So there we are. Someone took it back from the back to the shop after the first line. The first line is knives. Someone read one word and took it all the way back to the shop. I'm proud. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite an like achievement. Yeah. Yes. Couldn't you have like read the first line in the shop? I know. I know. That's I what I do. <laughs> I know. Yes. Uh, so for those of you who haven't read Anna's book or anything like it, we wanted to talk about what elements of a novel um, a novel has to have to be able to be labelled as grimdark. Now, the term was inspired by the tagline of the tabletop strategy game Warhammer 40,000. And the quote is, in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war. So is grimdark distinct from or simply a subgenre of dark fantasy? And in either case, what sets it apart? Uh, so um, this argument has been going on for years and is argued about constantly if you go on for example the face popular face group a facebook group grimdark writers and readers the constant argument is what is grimdark and the people the the grimdark writers and readers have a lengthy argument everyone has a different definition and the end result is no one knows so um there we go there we go there's the conclusive answer you see no one knows um see in some ways that group I mean, for some ways, it for me, the definition of grimdark is effectively a small clique of people who um, troll each other with jokes about undead unicorn porn. Um, And that's that's the grimdark community. I mean, the long definition is the kind of there's a strong element of cynicism. I mean, people kind of talk about bleakness and kind of pervasive darkness and this term realistic. So in fact, in the crib notes you've given me, you've got this word realistic because you've highlighted in yellow as it obviously seems such a striking word to apply to um, fancy novels in which people stride around with and there's undead and dragons and demons and such things. And people will say oh, it's realistic. Oh, well, let me jump does... in there. 
that Which was me who said, no, I don't believe it's realistic. <laughs> or I don't believe that Grimdark's any more realistic than any other type of fantasy, but that does seem to be something that people throw at it a lot. And I'm like, how? Because I don't see it in terms of realistic, in terms of realism, as in terms of, you know, it's not realistic in that it's less fantastical. The realism comes in the cynicism. It's not, it's a bleak word. It's a cynical world. It's a world, I mean, there's the kind of, the famous tagline in the grim darkness of the far future, there's only war, which was actually originally applied kind of as a sort of slightly, a rather insulting joke and was then taken up quite proudly. Um, that kind of idea that there will only be war. I mean, I went to, talk, I was on a very, to go slightly off a tangent, I was at a really interesting event, an SFX event, where a whole load of space opera people were arguing about, is the future going to be, in, is the future going to be Warhammer 40,000? We get to the stars, we meet other races, we just fight and treat each other like crap and have refugee crises and economic crises and racism and all that just on a galactic level. Or is the future going to be a wonderful Star Trek utopia of everyone being nice? And OK, so, you, you know, you get conflict with other civilizations and that. But fundamentally, the human race kind of has got beyond the kind of horribleness that it is currently experiencing what i think grimdark means by realism what people mean when they say grimdark is realistic is that it essentially takes the former view when we get to the stars we're going to fuck them up we're going to bring global warming to other planets we're going to bring child poverty to other planets we're going to bring rape and paedophilia and murder and all that crap to other planets because the human condition is essentially one of bleakness and crapness and bigotry and unpleasantness and cruelty and hunger for power. And that is what sets Grimdark novels apart. That kind of what I would call realistic. And I speak as a civil servant here when I say that I have seen how government works close up and you don't want to know that very cynical, very kind of realist take on the kind of real politic take the kind of sense that there ain't going to be a happy ending there ain't going to be some kind of wonderful future. We're never going to pull it together. We're just going to carry on fucking things up. I mean, the lovely, I think the really lovely example of that is um, if you, the Game of Thrones, and this is spoiler alert for something that was published, what, I can't remember how long the original book was published, but spoiler alert, guys, for the one person out there who hasn't read or seen, hasn't read the first like, Game of Thrones books or seen the first series, there's Ned Stark, and he's righteous. He talks a lot about honour. He talks a lot about righteousness. And you have this very clear sense, okay, he is, you know, he is the archetypal, he is the archetypal hero. He's not a lovable character, but he's a kind of he's the kind of righteous leader character. He's you kind of see where this is going. He's going to be in conflict with the Lannisters, and then because he refuses to go on his because he refuses to go back on his principles, because he is such a man of honour, because he is this kind of archetypal honourable king figure. Suddenly you just get that line where he gets his head cut off, and then you're halfway through the book, and the bloke that you assume is the hero is just been shafted and he's dead that's the kind of realism and that's the kind of cynicism i think that sets grimdark apart that kind of that awareness of that so in with using the example of ned stark it's basically you know uh, refusing to allow uh, an archetype to triumph over cynicism and and, and our experience of uh, day-to-day life as we find it well yeah i mean yes it's ref- yes it's refusing to kind of accept the kind of very simplistic notion of good and evil of mm-hmm. kind of what good behaviour is, what bad behaviour is, that somehow... There's characterised fantasy literature, certainly, you know, throughout the last 40 years. 
um this this kind of bi- the binary you know it's i think it's a, it's yes. a, it's a genre of binaries good and yes, evil yes. right and wrong yes uh everyone's got a bit tired of perhaps this kind of very simplistic um kind of rendering of of the world when actually when you look around the world that we live in it's very rarely as simple as that can you have a happy ending in grimdark or even just like good things happening oh yes i mean a world in which everything was always just awful you know the kind of everyone is horrible everyone always betrays each other the kind of every single tavern you go into the food is revolting the beer is revolting the beds have got fleas the kind of you sleep with a prostitute and she turns out to give you the clap you know it's not <laughs> if the world you know that there is all kind of wonderful archetypes from grim wonderful kind of cliches grim dark situations but if that's all it was that would just be very one note i mean all of us have had times of absolute bleak despair and yet at the same time there's been kind of happiness in that everyone has seen you know all of us have had moments where no matter how crap our life is there's something there's gosh what a beautiful sunrise this morning there's actually that was the nicest pizza i've ever eaten in my life there's that was a really funny episode of my favorite comedy show that was you know life isn't just god i'm miserable so i'm going to be miserable forever or i'm going through a really crap patch in my life or something really awful has happened to me so i cannot laugh at something genuinely funny i cannot appreciate the fact that a beautiful rose bush outside my garden has just burst into flower. And yes, it makes the kind of the bleakness and the pain worse in some ways, but it's also life is complex. So yes, no, I mean, I like to think there are passages of great beauty and great hope in what I write. It's just there's also awareness that that's brief and transient, but that you need to hang on to that. I mean, in some ways, I think kind of Grimdark is very human about that as well. It's very that kind of recognition of complexity. It's very life affirming. <laughs> in a way, because again, it's not that kind of sense of there are heroes and there are villains. It's that kind of complexity of people trying to do, people just trying to muddle along in their own kind of often misguided, often deeply problematic, deeply troubled way in a situation, most of which is probably crap. But there are moments of joy and beauty. And that, that contrast, okay, it partly works as a dramatic contrast just to make things, just to change the pace, makes things more interesting. I mean, the kind of, my father, who's an English literature teacher, is always kind of pointing out the difference between um, Dostoevsky, which is just unremittingly just kind of bleak, and, you know, Shakespeare, where in something like Macbeth, you get, you get this sort of stupid porter scene with the knocking, and you get the kind of, the tit jokes and the kind of the kind of body jokes and the sort of but you also get the absolute despair that's at the heart of the play and it's that complexity of kind of human responses that complexity of the human situation i think is kind of is a really strong element of grimdark a book that's just where just everything is just crap all the time and everything is just bleak and everything is just worse and worse and worse and worse and worse then it ends badly that i mean that would be fairly why would you want to read that for me it's it's that kind of nuance and complexity of it the kind of moments of i mean there's a lovely lovely bit in um mike fletcher's beyond redemption which um there's a famous story about about beyond redemption that there's a passage in it that actually made his editor his, his agent throw up um it is a incredibly over the top 
incredibly gory, incredibly sexually violent, but always consensual sex. Um, incredibly foul mouth novel. I absolutely love it. Mike's one of my really closest friends. Um, no, he's not. He's a bloke I know on the internet who I pretend is one of my closest friends. Um, but there's a, you know, there's a lovely moment between that where our two despicable, horrible, filthy, totally corrupt, totally unpleasant central character, totally deluded central characters are having very drunk sex in a really disgusting, filthy alley. And it's it's a really moving, it's a really moving scene about two people clinging onto each other, absolutely kind of just looking for that kind of moment of human contact, that kind of moment of human happiness that they're finding some kind of absolute kind of indication for their own existence kind of absolute sense of giving themselves to each other it's a really lovely tender moment between two people really just kind of having a moment of happiness and of fulfillment in themselves and fulfilling the other even though it's two fucking vile people having a drunken shag in an alley full of rubbish and dead cats and it's just that's what that that kind of I love that I really love that scene and I kind of that that for me kind of embodies a lot of the kind of yeah the kind of almost line of life affirming qualities of some of the best grimdark novels I know exactly what you're saying Anna and I spent a lot of time thinking about how there is a difference between dark fantasy and grimdark and I think you're right when you say it's kind of defined by the readers and it's kind of malleable malleable almost and the way I kind of look at it is that even in dark fantasy you can still get the idealistic hero um, who is flawed but still has morals within him whereas when you get to grimdark I think it just stepped over the line into being very nihilistic Um, you've got very amoral characters I think what Anna was saying there about you know having the sex in the back alley it's very it's very human it's very very mortal. Uh, that's one of the things I find about George R. R. Martin is that he is the thing about his characters that they're so close to death, and he emphasises this as we say with Ned Stark, like nobody is safe. You've got this fantastic fantasy character, the idealistic hero, um, who is then put among a nihilistic sort of characters and situation, and this is what happens to him because that is what would happen to him in real life. And I think. I kind of see what they mean when they say realistic in that, but I would go more to say that it's just, it's more mortal, both in your life expectancy within Grimdark, um, but also within your flaws and your weaknesses and your strengths. It is a bleak view of human life. It is kind of, I mean, I guess it is nihilistic if you don't, I don't believe in God. I don't believe, I would love to believe in God. I would love to believe that when we die, we'll go to heaven and we can be forgiven for our sins and, I would love to believe all of that. I don't. I think when we die, that's it. I um, I don't think there's any kind of... No, if your life is fucked up as a child, for example, there's no redemption. There's no kind of, but it will be all right somehow. If someone breaks your life and you're a child, your life is broken and then you die and that's it. And that's a fucking waste. That's just, you know, it's just it's an absolute obscenity. But it's real. That is, that's the reality. That, again, I think is at the heart of Grimdark. Something like Tolkien, which is a profoundly kind of, you know, it's a horrifying vision of a world at war. You know, it is a piece of First World War literature. It is, you know, it is in many ways unflinching in its depiction of the kind of sudden discovery of industrialised warfare. When you're reading kind of Mordor and 
what Saruman does in Isengard is absolutely a picture of the sort of the horrifying sudden impact of industrialized warfare on a whole generation, that absolute kind of trauma of what total war actually means. But there's some sort of sense that from that something can come. There's some, there is a sense, there is a redemption, there is a Christ narrative. Grimdark kind of says, well, the, there is the kind of the horror of total war, the horror of the meat grinder. And that's it. That's all there is. And that is an obscenity. I mean, I think, pe- again, people kind of confuse the idea that when we kind of talk about this, I mean, I write very lengthy scenes of battle. I enjoy writing them. I probably want to have my cake and eat it. I enjoy writing them hugely. I find them huge. I I really enjoy writing the battle scenes. I really enjoy writing the kind of carnage scenes. Book two is very much, um, The Tower of Living and Dying is very much a war book, much more than The Court of Broken Knives. And I really enjoy writing those massive battle scenes. But at the same time, there's that awareness that it's not, I'm not saying, gosh, this is so wonderful. This is such an amazing thing. This is glorious. I'm saying this is incredibly, this is doing something to you. And and the fact it is, it's an obscenity. It is kind of absolutely obscenity. And there's no, there's no redemption at the end of it. And we, that should make one angrier, surely, if one believes that, if there is no such thing as a happy ending, if there is no kind of, if there is no good, if there is no higher purpose, if there is no kind of Christ narrative, then surely one should fight harder to try and avoid these things. That, for me, again, is at the kind of heart of it. It's that, that humanness, that kind of humanity, that if this is it, guys, if this is, if this 60, 70, 80 years, if we're lucky, is all you have in your life, then cling to it absolutely just cling to it so i mean we've talked about dark worlds and despicable characters and with that in mind i kind of wanted to make a bit of a comparison with horror because i know it's been mentioned in some of the articles that um megan sent around um so horror um has been described as being the only genre to be named after a reaction that most of us would generally (laughs) avoid in real life them's the wise words of john Connolly. Um, now you could say the same is true of grimdark in real life we probably wouldn't want these characters in (laughs) situations anywhere near us so what do you think people get out of grimdark is it some kind of voyeuristic thrill or is it a life lesson what do you think i think it's a bit of both i mean it is a voyeuristic thrill it is as i've just said you know i i find writing the kind of scenes of violence essentially profoundly enjoyable i find reading them profoundly enjoyable you know people talk about that kind of i know someone who sort of talks about when he's writing really kind of big fight scenes you know he's kind of pounding the table like i mean it's kind of it is profoundly enjoyable we've been telling each other stories about extreme violence for forever if you kind of you know the iliad first piece of western fiction it's a war novel it's absolutely (laughs) unflinching it goes on and on and on at great (laughs) yeah vast and wonderful lengths incredibly kind of and then he died like this and menelaus killed him like this and killed him like this and killed him like this it catalogues kind of the most appalling mortal injuries been inflicted on people and you know it it hasn't stopped being told for coming over three thousand years people do find it absolutely thrilling people People find it intensely enjoyable. I think Grimdark is a kind of voyeuristic. People do find it voyeuristic to be, to think about that kind of experience of total war, which even in a kind of much more militarized society, a lot of people wouldn't have had. And certainly to that kind of heightened degree, it's often described in novels. It is, 
for most of us kind of you know I've, I've never been in a fight in my life it's an incredibly voyeuristic experience it does speak to something deep down in us but i think also yeah it is this like kind of life-affirming kind of um Actually, I was trying to explain to someone, I explained to a small child, I was explaining to my daughter the whole thing about Mr. Bean, that kind of, you're kind of laughing at Mr. Bean because actually we've all been there. We've all been in that. She was watching the Mr. Bean's Christmas special where he ends up with a turkey. With a turkey in his head. His watch gets in, he manages to somehow get his watch in a turkey when he's stuffing the turkey. So he puts his head in the turkey to try and get his watch out. And I was explaining to her, the reason that's funny is because we've all very nearly done that. We've all had to. You know, very, very nearly been in that position where we're, because it is that kind of there, but for the grace of God go I kind of, we've all been in absolutely mortifying situations and we laugh at things like that because it's that kind of cathartic, it's kind of because I'm laughing at Mr. That, all that happening to Mr. Bean that somehow makes it easier for me and that also somehow makes it kind of somehow less likely to happen to me. And I think some of that is true of Grimdark as well. It's that kind of, by reading about these absolutely awful things, it is almost it is almost a kind of talismanic magic that somehow this won't happen to me. This is a thing that happens in books. This is not a thing that happens in real life. Um, I think people think that about um, you know hospital dramas as well. Things yes, like Casualty yes. and Holby City. That's why everyone's really obsessed with them. It's like yes, oh my god, yes. it's so close to the bone. Like this could really be <laughs> but, us, uh, <laughs> but yes, it's not. Yes, but yes, if you're watching these awful, awful stories happening to other people who are recognisably just like us and and yet somehow yeah it is that kind of magical sense of kind of but it won't be me it's yeah kind of, it's not me yeah <laughs> people just really do just love kind of gore and horror and being frightened people read a huge amount of horror people watch a huge amount of horror people love i mean i remember um this wonderful conversations that men at work were having about when mid, call the midwife came back on again where they're sort of like saying to their wives you know how could you watch this thing and all these kind of middle-aged women saying, oh, I've got a midwife, yeah, it's the best thing on TV. And all these kind of cynical middle-aged blokes, like, oh, my God, it's just unwatchable. Oh, my God, it's just, it's, just, it's just the most bleak, horrible, horrible thing I've ever seen. <laughs> and somehow, you know, that kind of, there is that kind of deeply voyeuristic kind of part of all of us that wants to kind of see all of that. Now, I've seen you on panels at various different conventions, and I remember one that you were on, I think it was at FantasyCon, with uh, you and Egg McDonald and various other people. And as much as I respect all of the writers, I have to say that the um, one audience member came up with the best summary of Grimdark, which I thought is, the world is shit, things happen, the world is still shit. (laughs) Which I thought kind of summed it up. But, I mean, is there a point when, you know, bad things happen to bad people as a trope simply becomes gratuitous? And you think maybe Grimdark will encourage more violent and psychopathic characters just for the the sake of it and will lose this kind of grounding in reality that it has? I think, I mean, there is always the danger of that. You kind of, I mean, this is where I get all kind of literary and snobby. There are lots of people kind of bashing out novels with basically a very, they're kind of, actually the kind of fairly standard in the end the goodies win but just with a kind of just ramping up everything so it's basically you take something like the wheel of time and you just quentin tarantino it so you just have (laughs) every single woman gets raped and every single bloke backstabs their best mate and every single kind of every single person dies in really really horrible ways and and just that kind of it is a kind of absolutely gratuitous just kind of 
hey, look, I'm going to write another rape scene. Hey, look, I'm going to think of something even more disgusting to do to this person, even more disgusting than the thing that someone else did in this other book that I read that I'm feeling a bit annoyed about, the fact that they thought of something horrible. So I'm going to think of something more horrible. And you kind of suspect it will have either have some kind of, in the end, happy ending, or it'll just be some kind of absurdly nihilistic kind of... And then they all stabbed each other in the back simultaneously while raping all the female characters at once. And then kaboom, it was just so much the world imploded. Yeah, I'm getting this yeah. kind of vibe of, like, Monty Python for yeah, Yorkshireman yeah, yeah. sketch, but grimdark. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and there is a sense of that. There is a kind of... You do get the feeling that there are people out there who basically are kind of competitive rape scene writing, and you just feel... I mean, Egg McDonald kind of points out you could write a Grimdark novel without any kind of hint of violence, let alone kind of explicit sexual violence. And you could, but in them, there are people who just get this kind of very gratuitous, just kind of, well, it must be Grimdark because kind of no one has been happy for one second during the entire book. <laughs> and no, no one has done kind of, it's impossible for two people to even shake hands with each other without kind of maiming each other. And that, that really depresses me, but then that happens with all genres of literature. I mean, if you look at kind of crime fiction, there's there's a lot of crime, low, there's a lot of very kind of low-level, sub-Patricia Cornwall crime fiction out there, which is just, and then fucking horrible shit happened to women, and then some more fucking horrible shit happened to women, and then the detective's life went really horrible, and his eighth wife left him, and he had sex with someone who turned out to be his daughter, and she hated him, and then kind of, and then he got drunk for nine weeks, and then something else horrible happened to women, and then and in the end he solved the case, but he went back to being even more miserable than before. I mean, all genres have that. All genres have that, just those kind of bottom feeders who just sort of suck up the kind of worst, worst elements and spew it out as kind of torture porn because people seem to like writing torture porn. But for me, that kind of, that really isn't good, good grimdark fiction is not, is, is distinct from that. Well, it's distinct from the violence within it, isn't it? If you excuse yep. the, the Monty Python yes. quote, it's it's different from the violence inherent in the system. It is about the people within it and the characters yes. and whether they deal with um, what is the the violence and aggression around them, whether they deal with it by um, going up against it in a heroic way or whether um, they're like um, Joe Abercrombie's character. Oh, his name has momentarily escaped me, which is a shame because he's my favourite one, the torturer. Um, oh, yes. Yes, um, in his novels. And, you know, he, he basically deals with the sadism around him by becoming more sadistic yes. himself, and yet strangely has some morals to it. Yes, um, yes, it's that, but, yes, it is that kind of, it's a more, it's more, more sort of some complex and nuanced kind of portrait of what's going on kind of within people's minds and what how you respond to people. Again, it's that kind of... It's more complicated. It's kind of pointing out that if one lives in a brutalised world, one is brutalised. And some people are, in fact, often, you know, that kind of awareness, perhaps one is brutalised, and yet finding it difficult to escape it. And lots of the best grimdark, and certainly what Abercrombie's doing, and what Martin is probably doing as well, is a kind of, what I like to think I'm doing, is actually a kind of critique of the kind of masculine violence trap. I mean, you mentioned rape and obviously <clears throat> masculine violence. Yeah. And generally, when a story in the fantasy genre has violence against women, it's very often sexually motivated. Yes. Yeah. But it occurred to us that since Grimdark is so much more gritty than normal fantasy, <clears throat> excuse me, is it broad enough to involve sexual violence against men, something which does happen in reality but is rarely explored within fiction? I mean, I haven't come across anything like that, but I can kind of see a few things edging towards it but just shying away. What's your thoughts? Oh, yeah, no, I mean... 
I have never, I have not got in my books anywhere an explicit male on female rape scene. It is made very clear because I, I, I'm not interested in writing one, to be honest. I kind of, sometimes rape scenes can be written well and can be, I'm trying to find the right word for what on earth they could be, but you know, sometimes they can make you think about things. Sometimes, and up and, and actually, you know, up until quite recently, the idea of people actually writing about rape and kind of pointing out that it happens and it happens to normal women in inverted commas and it can be done by normal men in inverted commas that it's not some kind of taboo thing that takes place over there to others and that if a woman is raped she is somehow taboo and other and problematic i think there are very legitimate reasons for writing about rape but i personally don't choose to write about it partly just because to be honest it's an incredibly boring thing to write about in some ways i mean i've been a victim of sexual sexual violence myself it's just why would that be interesting for anyone to read about it's just kind of absolutely fucking awful thing that happened to me it's not of in- any interest to write about i'm sure we, actually most women can imagine if they haven't experienced it what a totally just a fucking horrible sexual experience would be like and it's just not you know there's no interest in writing that but it is very clear coming back to the question there is it is very clear in my books that there is sexual violence there is sexual violence being committed by by mostly male soldiers and I talk about, I use the word soldiers and men fairly interchangeably I use very gendered language talking about soldiers in the book for very deliberate reasons, it is clear when there's soldiers and civilians that there must there will be sexual violence taking place against the women it is also clear I think that there is sexual violence taking place against men and children because it happened it's always happened there was always so when a city was sacked it wasn't just the conveniently nubile and conveniently scantily clad women who suffered these things it was the general population and i think i don't i don't talk about that i don't there's describing a graphic male on male sexual sexual act of sexual violence or a female or male acts of sexual violence again i don't i don't think it would be an interesting thing to write about it might be more interesting to write about from the perpetrator's point of view perhaps to try and understand what on earth so try and unpack a bit you know what on earth someone might think they're doing in this situation but i don't gloss over the fact it's clearly happening in the background and kind of some of the background characters will be doing it and will be doing it very casually i mean i have consensual I have consensual gay sex, a lot of consensual gay sex. I think I should probably spend more time talking about the consensual gay sex than talk about the consensual heterosexual sex. So I think it's fairly clear that there would also be non-consensual gay sex and probably non-consensual female, non-consensual female on male sex. It's just, it doesn't really interest me to write about it in any detail. I mean, obviously there are a lot of um, male writers out there of grimdark you're the the queen of grimdark <laughs> and uh, i must admit i've had my own writing surprisingly described as grimdark so i'm going to aspire to be the duchess of grimdark um, in my future writing but can you recommend some other female grimdark writers and you know any differences you might find between their writing and those of the guys within the genre oh see there aren't there aren't that many women writing grimdark let's be honest about this i mean there aren't it's, there aren't that many men writing grimdark either really let's be honest and kind of um i mean basically as kind of uh, published 
by fairly major publishing houses. There's Deborah Wolf, who wrote The Dragon's Legacy, and her new one, The Forbidden City, has just come out, which is interesting. It's very female-centred, fairly kind of um, matriarchal world, very kind of violent world, um, with a kind of Eastern setting, beautifully written. There's Anna Stevens' God Blind, and her new one, Dark Soul, is coming out at the end of August, which is written with a more, I suspect, with a more female perspective. Yes, I mean, she kind of, she had one of her central characters is very much a woman in a man's world, kind of confronting that world. It's, she's very much a woman out to kind of break the glass ceiling. There's, of course, there's Cameron Hurley and the, the Mirror Empire, which is essentially women doing unto men what men have done unto women. Um, and I can't think of that many others. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we've obviously talked about the pros and cons of Grimdark, but personally, I, I really like the genre. I feel it fills a niche that um, perhaps was probably there, but maybe you aren't directed to the right kind of books when you go, I feel like reading something like this. And now Grimdark can hopefully point you in the right direction. So, I mean, it's a really dark and miserable world and bleak things happen. But what is it that you love about Grimdark in particular that makes you want to write it and want to read it? See, I didn't start out wanting to write it. I started to write what some I just started to write. And what came out was something that was becoming kind of that would clearly fit within the genre. I mean, part of the reason I sort of use the Queen of Dream Dark whole thing is to kind of make it very clear that, yes, this is a book by a woman. Yes, there's a love story. Well, there are two love stories absolutely at the heart of this book. But no, do not file it under YA, as it has been filed in at least one bookshop. No, do not assume it's a kind of romance no, do not assume it doesn't have violence in it. The number of people who requested it on bloody net galley on the grounds that it was a fancy novel by a woman and there was this stuff about this mysterious young man. Ooh, it must be a swoony, misswoony, dreamy, fancy romance. And all there is, I got all these wretched sort of one star. This turned out to be a violent novel. I didn't realise it was going to be a violent novel. Like, well, didn't you read the blurb? I mean, he's just assuming because it's by a woman, it must be some kind of happy clappy lovey dovey thing but um so that's i mean that's part of the reason why i kind of make a big thing about it grim being grim dark just like look there's going to be violence on it look the first word is knives for god's sake but um it is the kind of cynicism that i really like the kind of realism the kind of the darkness of it i mean i i remember when i was a child reading the chronicles of narnia and i love the chronicles of narnia but i could never quite understand why people didn't want to be on the white witch just so and in the last battle I, could, I was just sort of fascinated by this that wonderful scene where the kind of Assyrian god demon thing appears in Narnia and there's a lovely there's that lovely little line drawing of it this kind of strange Assyrian kind of bird headed winged very strange kind of orientalized figure and it's presented as kind of everything that Christianity fears it's this kind of terrifying orientalist kind of it probably has blood sacrifices. It probably eats babies. It's kind of all that kind of every kind of Orientalist fantasy we have about kind of kind of the dark about the other dark other. And I was just fascinated by it. And why on earth you wouldn't want to be on that thing side rather than the side of these kind of very boring goodies? I could never quite understand. And so then I kind of so I was always kind of staring at 
chaos marines in the window of games workshops and kind of Again, I could never quite understand why on earth are these guys fighting for the empire when they could be fighting for <laughs> they could be fighting for the great for, for Nurgle and for <laughs> cool blood for the blood god. Um, and that kind of that kind of darkness did really appeal to me, the kind of darkness of it. But then at the same time, I kind of find it also, um, in fact, is a kind of critique of military society, is a critique of masculinity is a critique of patriarchy i mean um people point to me one if i want to sort of point out one scene in grimdark literature which is absolutely consummately everything i'm trying to say about what grimdark is and the kind of politics of it so in um R. scott baker's the second apocalypse in the the first trilogy the prince of nothing there's a scene in that where a character called akiri confas who is the kind of archetypal, deeply unpleasant kind of he's an em- he's the, he's an emperor, he's Caligula, he's Commodus, he's everything we imagine about the kind of horrifying emperor of decadent, corrupt, deeply unpleasant, deeply chilling young boy, young he's a young man, he's good looking, he's power crazed, he's depraved, and there's a scene where he is. He summons one of his slave girls and he starts having sex with her. And, you know, on the best interpretation, she is just doing her job. She's bored out of her mind. She's just going, you know, she's just grinding away, hoping he finishes soon. On the worst interpretation, that kind of he's clearly you're clearly reading an extended rape scene and he cannot achieve. he, He can't come. Basically, he just can't. Until he gets a mirror and he tells her to hold a mirror over her face and he's looking at, so he's looking at himself. And then finally he manages to come. And it's told totally from his point of view. But that, and that, that, and he's, you know, he's not thinking, he's not thinking, oh, I'm raping this woman, oh, I'm so evil. He's not, but the only way he can relate to women of, to women and to people around him is through just, you know, this, this just, he is just, this this woman is just there for him to service his needs. The idea that she has any feelings, that she is in any way actually a human being, is totally alien to him. He's not a mustachio twirled villain, you know, getting off on rape. He just has no ability to understand women as anything other than something that he, uh, just a tool for his sexual pleasure. And he is, his life is so empty and sterile that he, even within those incredibly narrow confines, he can't actually find any kind of sexual satisfaction, let alone any kind of emotional satisfaction, let alone anything kind of love or kind of anything that might make him a kind of anything other than a mon- just absolutely empty and just barren inside. And that that scene, that scene is so misunderstood because lots of people kind of say, well, it, it's just some kind of it's just kind of a man of power raping a slave girl. Well, that's that's horrible. Why would you want to read that? But it's just absolute critique of patriarchy and of that kind of toxic masculinity and of kind of the notion of the man of power because he has everything he has power he has everything that a man of power can can desire but he can't find anything he is absolutely completely dead and sterile and that that for me that kind of the way that that is evoked in a lot of the best grimdark novels is absolutely it just sort of it really talks to me as someone who's kind of being brought up to kind of resist the patriarchy to want to kind of not to be part of that whether or not people read it in that way i think some people i'm sure just kind of read it as whoa look it's a rape scene whoa but then people 
kind of will always take things. Some people always take things in a base way. But, you know, it's a, it's the best critique of Trump you could read. And that's what I love about Grimdark. I mean, we've obviously talked a lot about the guys of Grimdark. Um, yeah. My favourite, of course, being Glockter. Sorry, Joe. Yes, yes. The name last time. <clears throat> he completely blocked me as well. As soon as you said you couldn't sorry. remember his name, it's, one of those, <laughs> it's like sneezing. Like, oh, I can't remember his name either. The, the excellent Glockter. Um, what about female characters in Grimdark? They don't feature a lot, but there are some good ones out there. I mean, which ones yes. have really appealed to you, Anna? Obviously, apart from Thalia, who's in your books, who is fantastic. And I'm really looking <laughs> forward to seeing how she develops in The Tower of Living and Dying. I think she's really going to come into her own there. But what about other female characters you might come across? Okay, so I'm going to do the classic thing of talking about female characters in male books because um, I would love to talk about female characters in female books. But actually, the two the books I want to talk about are Mike Fletcher's um, Swarm and Steel and um, Baker, Baker's Second Apocalypse because they're just they're just such great books. Um, so Swarm and Steel has a character called Zerfal in it, who is she is absolutely the central character. She is in some ways the kind of the kind of kick-ass heroine. Now I have issues with the whole concept of the kick-ass heroine. The concept, the idea that the best way that you can write a female character is to make them like a male character, as in they just go around kicking ass a lot, because that just I just I find that very kind of again as people may have noticed that kind of I thought I'd like to have a slightly more complicated view of the world than just going around just kind of kicking some ass. Zerfal is also deeply disturbed in ways which problematise mental illness, but also normalise mental illness. Um, most of the characters in Mike's books, the, the series are called Manifest Delusions. The, the basic premise is if one sense, suffers from, from mental delusions, these somehow, these actually become reality. So, the character Zerfal is she in fact becomes convinced that she is dead she's and her body begins to rot so she I mean she and she is actually as a depiction of someone with complex multiple mental health issues which I myself have she is actually a very interesting nuanced picture a portrait of that she is in some ways the kick-ass heroine she's she's on the front cover wearing a very tight pair of trousers over an absolutely amazing arse, looking absolutely kind of, she'd be played by Catherine Zeta Jones or someone. She'd be just, she's, she's, you know, she's, she's tough. She's feisty. She's in the, in the modern sense of the word, not in the actual meaning of the word. She's, she is kick-ass. She is absolutely kind of a super cool heroine. But at the same time, she's also incredibly vulnerable, incredibly, incredibly damaged, She's kind of, again, she's the kind of reality. She's kind of like, I went to an all-girls school and you, I kind of, I remember you sort of go to the toilet block at lunchtime and the caption of the netball team would be in there and you just feel kind of screwed up inside and just want to run away and cry. And she is the caption of the netball team. But all the kind of seething morass of pain and insecurity that probably was there inside the caption of the netball team is, is made explicit. So she is a kind of very complex character, not just because not, oh, she's not a complex female character. She's a complex character. I mean, I sort of, and the fact she is a very attractive young woman adds a kind of further complexity to the way she's portrayed and her relationship with other characters. And she's just cool. She's a really, really 
kind of in some ways she's absolutely the kind of person you'd want to be. In other ways, she's absolutely terrifying and horrifying. And the other character I really like is um, Esmonette in Baker's Second Apocalypse, who, again, she is... Baker has two female characters in the entire of the Prince of Nothing trilogy, one of whom is a prostitute, the other of whom is a sex slave. Esmonette is a prostitute. She's actually matter-of-fact about the fact she's a prostitute. She's matter-of-fact about the fact that the world she lives in means that this is the only job open to her. She's absolutely, again, you see through her eyes the barrenness of the masculine world that Baker's writing about. You see through her eyes the kind of absolute just sterility of a society which refuses to educate women, refuses to allow women subjectivity, which completely subjugates women. And you see all of that. You see that through the eyes of an intelligent, capable woman who is completely aware of her situation. And in fact, she then become, begins to think much more about the possibility of other ways of being, of the possibility of women being educated, the possibility of women having a more equal place in society. She has a kind of, she begins to develop more of a modern kind of female sensibility, which is lovely to read. But what's the heart of her is the way that she shows this this kind of male world for what it is. She actually, there's a lovely kind of scenes where she has a she finds she briefly achieves with one of the other characters that came in, essentially a kind of marriage of two middle-aged people having a kind of marriage of equals, based not on youthful lustful sexual desire, but on being two. Well, she is. I mean, she is a trash. She is beautiful. She is desirable. But she's. This is a relationship based on two people who have some kind of equal relationship based on far more than just for a look at her. She's hot. And yet she's at the same time critique, and she's critiquing the world around her. It's she's a wonderful character. I, I would like to add to that list. Um, apologies if I'm not pronouncing it correctly. Etienne from Scott Oden's uh, A Gathering of Ravens. I found it really refreshing to have um, a book outside of Anna's, obviously. Uh, actually, sorry, Anna, actually greater than yours because you have, as you reminded me, two male protagonist point of view characters and one female. Whereas in the Gathering of Ravens, you have one female and one male. No, I'm doing well. I don't want to spoil it, but there is a, a male protagonist that comes in a bit later that you might have thought was not around earlier. Anyway, but um, I mean, Essane in a Gathering of Ravens has a really strong plot line, and I really liked it because not only did it sort of contrast um, men's roles and women's roles within the um, t- sort of fictional time period. Uh, it was obviously a set time period in Britain, but also um, with an awful lot of Norse mythology thrown in. But it also had this idea of sort of pagans versus Christians, which I know has been done an awful lot. But it wasn't one sided in this. I like the fact that both sides had things to recommend them and they had really bad or weak and weedy characters on one side and, and the same on the other. And I really, really like that. And I think that's a that's a really good book that takes Grimdark in a slightly more historical setting than perhaps the I others that are just pure it. fantasy. I, really, I haven't read it. I really should read it. I, it sounds like absolutely like my kind of. I keep meaning to read it, but um, I keep meaning to read an awful lot of books. And in fact, I do have a bit of a problem where I find it quite difficult to write while reading fiction that's in a similar vein because it. I've, I'm, I'm very good at parody. If I read too much of someone, which is too close to my own sort of genre, I start 
parody, essentially parodying them rather than writing my own stuff. So it's a bit depressing because I actually write, probably read less fantasy now than I did before I was writing fantasy, which is kind of really depressing in some ways. But because um, it just gets a bit, I just find it a bit too much of an overload. So what do you read when you're writing I Deep Wind Dark? I read of historical nonfiction. So um, to kind of keep myself in the world and in the scenes, I read an awful lot of uh, military history, basically, and kind of general history, medieval history and ancient history, and then kind of totally other stuff. So I've actually I've just been reading um, the, um, the Neapolitan Saga, which is absolutely amazing. It's amazing. It's, a, it's just a series of novels about a lifelong friendship between two women in in Naples, in Italy, kind of post-war to fairly modern period. It's just an incredible piece of writing about women, female identity and the female body and sort of coming of, of sort of female developments. And kind of the first book is very much about kind of women coming into sexuality and coming into adulthood and trying to navigate a world where women have got more choices. So the women who can say so the idea of education for the first time becoming possible and trying to navigate the kind of sort of sexual desires and kind of the expectation that they might get married and have children with kind of new possibilities. And it's, it's just superbly written. It's obviously superbly written. So we have discussed nearly every possible element of Grimdark. As a genre, it defies a strict definition, but certainly there is no place for the idealistic hero unless it's under the headsman's axe. This is a genre that has previously been dominated by men, but there are still memorable female characters out there. This is not an extreme genre like Splatterpunk, but it is visceral and can encompass characters as varied as a torturer to the captain of a female volleyball team. It has been around since the Iliad and is likely to grow stronger still in the years to come, although we hope it never loses its grounded human nature in favour of purely violent and psychopathic characters. You've been listening to Breaking the Glass Slipper. Please join us again next time.